0: In a recent issue of the Christian Century, in his column, Faith Matters, Pastor Samuel Wells tells this story. There was a kind couple who used to have me over for lunch when I was on my own and often discouraged. She loved the church. He never wanted much to do with it. While relatively young, she was debilitated by a distressing disease and couldn't get get to church on her own. So he drove her there on Sundays and read a book in the parking lot. Eventually, she died. The funeral was at the same church. A few months later, to everyone's amazement, he started attending church himself. Asked why, he replied, it was the way you cared for my wife. I thought, I want to be part of a community that cares like that, and I want to discover what makes people care like that." The story is embedded in a column that is intended to make a point about conversion to Christianity, that is Encouraging readers to consider whether we believe Christianity to be a profound blessing and good, and therefore worth sharing. And whether we actually believe in the notion of change. Samuel Wells is writing, as you might imagine, from the perspective of someone who recognizes that some of us get squirmy around the idea of conversion. Preferring instead to focus on discipleship. But, he wants to argue, there is value in looking at the way that spiritual change might come about, what brings someone into the fold, so to speak. I don't particularly want to talk about conversion today. But his story, with the image of the man sitting in the parking lot, reading a book while the church meets inside the building for worship, catches my attention. And then as I continue to think about it in light of this morning's scripture, I find myself imagining that what happened was that eventually the man realized he was actually sitting at the edge of a field of grain or a vineyard of grapes and there was food enough for him, too. And so he reached out to receive what he needed. He tasted the fallen grapes, and they tasted like compassion. I also noticed the story because I feel like the man sitting out in the parking lot fits the biblical category of alien, a foreigner to the faith, a stranger in a strange land. After all, to the person who has no particular interest in the church, the church parking lot may be a strange land. And then my mind skipped over to another parking lot picture, our own church parking lot on the Wednesdays when we host Second Harvest Food Pantry Giveaway. A couple of cars arrive early in the morning in order to be first in line, but by mid-morning, the cars are lined up by the dozens. And as they arrive, our volunteers, in vests sometimes, bright vests, and wearing fluorescent gloves, point them into lines, creating one line as, after another. Finally, as morning gives way to afternoon, the second harvest truck comes. The driver starts to unload, and a second crew of volunteers, some from the community and some from our church, load bags and boxes of food into the cars as they pull up to the front of the line one after another with trunks open. It works like a well-oiled machine, except it's not a machine. It is an expression of compassion, of care, of sharing. We only provide the parking lot and some of the volunteers. The food comes from somewhere and someone else. But the parking lot becomes a field of harvest on those days. Now, the food that is distributed is sometimes an odd collection of things. A flat of coffee creamer per car. Who needs that much coffee creamer? But then there might be a gallon of milk and a bag of potatoes, and maybe a watermelon or two or three. It's an eclectic mix, maybe something like a collection of leftovers, like the uncollected grapes in the vineyard, what is left for the needy at the edges of a field of food that has a fast-approaching expiration date, the gleanings of the edge of the harvest. The people who come on those Wednesdays are focused on the food, I know. But sometimes I wonder, do the people in those lines waiting for food to be placed into the trunk of their car associate what happens in the parking lot with what happens in the church building? I don't really know. Except for this, every now and then someone comes inside and asks to use the bathroom. And we say, sure. And I'm told that nowhere else where food is distributed through this program is that true. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. The word alien, which I referenced earlier, is an interesting one. An alien in that biblical context means someone from a foreign country. Not surprisingly, other Bible translations offer different words in place of the word alien. Immigrant, stranger, foreigner. But a deeper look at the Hebrew word translated as alien offers perhaps a more accurate English word instead sojourner, leave the gleanings at the edge of the harvest, the fallen grapes of your vineyard for the needy and for the sojourner, that is, the temporary resident, the one passing through, the person who doesn't have permanent or in-group status, but who has needs nevertheless, the outsider, the person at the edge, The person who may even be dependent on the goodwill of the community for their continued survival and existence. And who is my neighbor was my sabbatical theme, and it's the theme of these first three Sundays that I'm back to preaching. And by the time these three Sundays are over, last Sunday, this Sunday, and next Sunday, you may be sick and tired of that question. But I feel like it's important to ask it in deeper and different ways. To ask not just in terms of who lives and belongs in my actual neighborhood, and not just in terms of who is the person I may hold in judgment or prejudice, and then turns out to be the person who does the good deed, much to my surprise, like the neighbor in the Good Samaritan parable but to also ask the question and who is my neighbor in terms of who is the one who is passing through? Who is at least temporarily living at the edge of my field, at the edge of my vineyard? And who would benefit if I didn't pick up every last bit of wheat, every last fallen grape for myself? And who is my neighbor? Maybe we could ask it this way. Who is out in the parking lot while I am in the building? The classic biblical story that illustrates the importance of leaving the gleanings at the edge of the field to feed the needy and the stranger in obedience to the instructions of Leviticus is the story of Naomi and Ruth. After returning from Moab from death and famine, Ruth, with Naomi's permission, goes to the edges of Boaz's fields to pick up the bits of grain left behind during the harvest. Maybe you remember this part of the story. Now, Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi... Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? The young man who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came and she's been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not Go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what they have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, may I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. And you remember that later on the relationship advances and eventually Boaz marries Ruth and that marriage secures both her and Naomi's future. And as the story goes through their genealogical line, David is born and eventually through the same line, Jesus is born. And it is reasonable to wonder whether part of the lesson in the story of Ruth, whose relationship with Boaz begins as she picks up grain at the edge of the field, is that compassion and generosity is necessarily woven into the lineage of Jesus. But at the same time, maybe it's as simple as this. God's way is the way of generosity toward anyone in need, anyone at the edge of the field or the edge of the vineyard. It just is. Boaz describes what he does as participating with the God under whose wings Ruth has come for refuge. The wings are widened through generosity, to cover all who seek shelter. Remember when I said last week that with the thought of neighbor actively in my mind over the last three months, it's almost as if I've taken on the task of giving each person I meet the designation of neighbor, that I've been trying to grow my view of neighbor and neighborhood. Well, what if that would extend to seeing every stranger as sojourner That is, what if I would adjust my vision to see every stranger as someone who just might be needful of my goodwill for their continued existence, not as someone to be pitied, I don't mean that, but as someone for whom the boundary between me and them could use a softening, allowing again and again for an extension of care that I would see them not just as stranger but as sojourner, and then maybe as neighbor, and eventually perhaps as friend. On the other hand, what if I find myself at the edge of the field? When my daughter and I were traveling with the New Community Project Learning Tour in Ecuador, one of the villages we visited in the Amazon basin was home to a shaman who is 107 years old. He lives in a small, simple wooden building, nothing covering the windows, a simple bed along one wall, no running water. He welcomed us into his personal space And he had us sit on the floor, facing away from him, and he conducted a blessing and cleansing ceremony for us. I have a a picture I want to show you. Through an interpreter, he told us that this was the last such ceremony he would do ever. The last one. When I heard that, I felt like we were at the edge of a vast field of harvest. And these were the very last gleanings, the last of the grapes fallen to the ground, and we were be given, being given the food to eat. The very last bits of what has been a harvest of vast proportions over years and years and years. We were the aliens, the strangers, the sojourners, and he did not hesitate to give us the last of what he had left. By the standards of the Northern Hemisphere, our group was not poor. We had every material thing that we needed, For that trip, along with every possession that awaited us upon returning home. But in that place, sitting there on the floor, with the chanting and the smoke drifting over our heads, it was clear to me that we were the poor and the aliens who were receiving the gleanings through his generosity. Shortly after that, I wrote this in my journal thinking about the question, and who is my neighbor? Is it the people I am traveling with? The guide and his tour company that is taking care of us? The communities we are visiting? The people and the country of Ecuador? The Southern Hemisphere? People in different religions, of different religions, cultures, backgrounds? I knew nothing about Ecuador or the Amazon jungle. Now I know something. Maybe I know enough to care about justice and fairness for my neighbors here. I am also thinking about the difference between responsibility for my neighbor and affection for my neighbor. Is the link compassion Somewhere in the spaces between seeing those who are at the edge of my life in terms of my belongingness, the people in the parking lot, so to speak, and seeing myself at the edge of someone else's life and their belongingness at the feet of the shaman in his own village in the Amazon rainforest with his blessing floating over my head, somewhere between those spaces is perhaps the answer that I seek to the question of how responsibility might spill over into affection, how compassion leads to connection. That is, I give and receive the bits of grain, the fallen grapes, and it is nourishing and maybe even transforming whether I am the one who gives or I am the one who receives. Transforming. I want to be clear. The giving and the receiving is not just transactional. It has the potential to be transforming. At the edge of the field, at the edge of the vineyard, I am changed, we are changed, a relationship is changed. As I think back to last week's story of the Good Samaritan, I realize that, One thing that leaves me unsatisfied with that parable is that it feels like it's over too soon. It's over and everyone heads off on their own path, perhaps never to encounter each other again, and we are left with a question, is there any new relationship as a result? What has changed not just in the moment but for the longer term? And I think to myself, wouldn't it be interesting to have a continuing story of what the relationship between the wounded man and the Samaritan rescuer might have looked like after that? Or did the innkeeper keep in touch with both of them? I'd like to know. I want to know in that story and in others how strangers become neighbors as they touch and change each other's lives, because I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? Not just that one person feeds another, but that in the sharing of the fallen grapes, something shifts from a fleeting encounter to a life-giving relationship. And it is true. Every once in a while, the man reading the book in the parking lot while his wife worships inside the church building, every once in a while he eventually decides or is drawn to come inside and meet the community of care. So that's grace. And at the same time, what are we who are inside doing to open the door, to pave the way? Leviticus warns us, be kind to the aliens. Don't ever forget that you were once strangers in a strange land, too. It's a warning if we take it that way. But maybe it's a promise. Maybe it's a promise, too. A promise that it is through compassion and generosity that outsiders become insiders that aliens become kin. May it be so. Amen.